Good evening, everyone. Good evening and welcome. My name is Jamie Boskett. I have the distinct privilege of serving as the president and CEO of the Virginia Historical Society, and along with several members of our board of trustees and former members of our board of trustees, I'm thrilled to welcome you here to your Virginia Museum of History and Culture, and specifically to the Robbins Family Forum uh, for another remarkable talk in this wonderful series we have here of engaging speakers. Uh, this evening, of course, also I'd like to recognize uh, the namesake for this, for this lecture in particular. Uh, and there, we, we look to the Hazel and Fulton Chauncey legacy that exists here at the Historical Society. Uh, both Hazel and Fulton were longtime members of the Society, and they had a particular and special interest in the scholarly work of this institution. Their two sons, Edwin Hall and Warren Fulton Chauncey, established this lecture series as a way to encourage that same appreciation for history and history education in others. And it certainly has done that. Sadly, Edwin passed away in February of 2011 as this very first lecture was being planned. But I'm very pleased and thankful for the support of Warren, who has stuck with us all these years and is with us tonight. Warren, if you would just please stand and be recognized. This, uh, this lecture is uh, near and dear to Warren and to his entire family, and as it is uh, to us as well. So we appreciate his, his generosity and his vision to keep this alive. I'd also like to recognize our members. And I'm looking around, around the room, and I recognize a lot of faces here. So I would suspect that we are a majority uh, members of the Historical Society. So let me take just a moment to thank you for everything you do to make our work possible, uh, particularly now, particularly now, uh, this year, is an exciting one for us. We have been doing more and seeing more people than ever in our entire 188-year history. Our attendance is up more than 20% when almost every other history organization in the Commonwealth is seeing declines. We can't do this without you, and we have so much more we have to do. So I just want to express our appreciation for you being with us, for your continued support. We don't receive any regular state, federal, local government funding. It's, it's this group. It's you that makes this place be remain one of the preeminent history organizations in this country. So thank you for that. Um, I'll also thank you, if you would, to take just a moment and silence any gadgets you have with you. Uh, any gadgets you have with you is, uh, while I'm doing that, while you're silencing your, your cell phones and your beepers, uh, I'd like to introduce tonight's speaker. We are so fortunate to have with us this evening Ben Wynn, who is a native of Florence, Mississippi. He earned his doctorate in history from the University of Mississippi and has taught at the University of Mississippi, uh, Valdesta State University, and Florida State University. He's currently in his 13th year as professor of history at the University of North Georgia in Gainesville, Georgia, where he specializes in antebellum American studies, the American South, and the Civil War era. Ben is the author of several books related to Southern history and culture, including In Tune, Charlie Patton, Jimmy Rogers, and the Roots of American Music. Also, Mississippi Civil War, a narrative history. A Hard Trip, a history of the 15th Mississippi Infantry, Confederate States of America. And the book that he'll speak on tonight, The Man Who Punched Jefferson Davis, The Political Life of Henry Stuart Foote, Southern Unionist. He has contributed, Ben has contributed to more than two dozen historical reference encyclopedias, and regularly reviews books for the American Historical Association and the Organization of American Historians, as well as regional academic, academic journals from around the country. 
this is, I have been told with good authority, an excellent talk. So I'm thrilled if you would join me, please, in welcoming forward Dr. Ben Wynn. Okay, I'm going to try to live up to that introduction there. Um, I appreciate uh, you all coming uh, tonight uh, to this occasion. I'm honored to be uh, with you. I was thrilled when I got the uh, notification uh, that they wanted me to come and speak to you. So uh, uh, it's just a great treat for me uh, to be here. So I want to thank everybody that was involved uh, in that uh, decision, and thank you all for, for coming. I'm going to uh, talk to you a little bit about this fellow here, Henry Stewart Foote, who was a native Virginian, although he traveled all around uh, the country. These are a couple of pictures of Henry Foote. Uh, I think he was about the mid-40s, the one on the left, maybe 10 or 12 years older, uh, the one on the right. Uh, the one on the left, you might notice, he's got a tremendous hairpiece on uh, there, <laughs> which uh, I had no, there were no lack of references and letters people wrote about him that mentioned the hairpiece. Uh, so, I mean, he you know, knew all about his hairpiece. But uh, he wore it sometimes and sometimes uh, he did not. There's a couple of other pictures. Obviously, this is later in his life, um, uh, not too long before he died. Uh, and over here, this is the official portrait. At one point, he served as the governor of uh, Mississippi. And that's the official portrait. They cleaned him up a little bit, and then it's hanging in the, it's hanging in the uh, state capitol there in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, Henry Foote, uh, a wild character. Uh, first uh, discovered Henry Foote back in the dark ages when I was doing my doctoral uh, dissertation. Um, and I was in Mississippi at uh, the University of Mississippi, and uh, uh, I was doing the dissertation on Mississippi Unionists, you know, the people that didn't want to secede, um, basically because everything else had already been uh, written about over and over, but nobody had written about the Unionists, and somebody suggested it to me, and I thought, well, that, that sounds like that'd be interesting. And this guy's name keeps coming up. He was definitely the most vocal Unionist of the antebellum uh, period. And uh, he ends up, uh, uh, again, I'll tell you a little more about him in a second. He ends up, um, he was a great opportunist, political opportunist, and there are a lot of things people didn't like about him. But he did have a uh, ideological compass, uh, at least for a while, on, uh, uh, with regard to secession. Uh, he, uh, beginning uh, in the late 1840s, that period that, that ended up producing the Compromise of 1850, which uh, some people refer to that era as the first secession crisis. He stuck by his guns and uh, promoted compromise with the North and was against any kind of talk of secession, even though it harmed him politically in a major way in Mississippi. He stuck by his guns uh, until he ends up in Tennessee and they end up seceding from the Union and he becomes a Confederate congressman. So he, you know, <laughs> he's still a politician, so he you know, kind of go with the, with the wind there. But uh, he was extremely controversial. You, a lot of people liked him, and a lot of people, probably more people, hated his guts than liked him because uh, he was just a very volatile uh, character. Uh, his, he liked to uh, really insult his opponents when he was debating with them to the point where he would make them mad and they would lose control, you know, on the, on the, on the, um, 
debating stage. And I mean, that was his goal to do that kind of thing. Uh, great public speaker, very sarcastic. Again, really, he would insult people that he was running against and make fun of them uh, in a way that they did not consider gentlemanly uh, back then, uh, some people anyway. Uh, he was involved, uh, I believe, six duels. Uh, I don't know how many fist fights. The fight with Jefferson Davis was just one of innumerable uh, fist fights he was involved in. Um, and he never backed down. Once he opened his mouth and spouted an opinion, that, w that was it. Even if the opinion obviously was the wrong opinion or the wrong thing to say, uh, he didn't like to compromise with his rivals and... Uh, it made him a very volatile character. Uh, once, this is a famous quote from him, uh, he told this to a friend and a friend related it. He said, he said, my friend, ignorance and impudence will succeed far better than intellect and, and modesty. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> a little bit of truth in that maybe, but uh, anyway, he said it as a joke, but it was one of those things, it's only half a joke. Uh, so uh, his friend uh, who also wrote a book, uh, wrote that quote uh, that came from him. Uh, and this, his friend Reuben Davis, no relation to Jefferson Davis, this guy was a friend of his uh, from Mississippi. Uh, he liked Foote. He said, Foote was the personal embodiment of the period that embraces the origin, the progress, and the close of the most thrilling drama in modern years, meaning that Civil War era, because Foote, as I'm fixing to explain, did a lot of, a lot of different things. And again, he was called different things by different people, depending if you liked him or didn't like him. Uh, somebody said, Foote was a thoroughly aggressive politician who possessed a fiery and vehement temper. Uh, some people called him an erratic genius. Even the people that complimented him, they always sort of qualified it. Couldn't just be a genius, you know, it'd be an erratic uh, genius. And then, of course, uh, it goes downhill from there. A thoroughly abhorred and despised uh, politician, a self-deflating bag of gas uh, from uh, somebody that was definitely... Not a, not a fan. But now, he uh, is from Virginia. He grew up in Virginia. All right, I wrote the pronunciation down. Falkir. Falkir? I'm from Mississippi. Bless you. Bless you. All right. Yeah, I, was, I told him a while ago, I said, Farquhar. He said, don't, I don't, don't. <laughs> okay. Anyway, shall we move on? He studies law, uh, and uh, uh, he's going to be a practicing attorney. And then Reuben Davis said this. I pulled this quote especially for you guys uh, here tonight. He said this. Uh, Reuben Davis reported him saying this. Like all Virginians, Foote had an inordinate state pride and really believed that to be born there was a distinction in itself. <laughs> I was going to ask you to raise your hand if you agreed, but the applause seems to, uh, <laughs> I thought that might go over. Uh, okay. Uh, anyway, Foote, uh, his MO, he would go, there were a lot of things happening between the time he was born in 1804 and the Civil War. I mean, you had all kinds of Texas annexation, you know, gold rush, California, the whole deep south opens up for settlement. There are all kinds of things going on. Foote leaves and he goes to Alabama in the 1820s when Alabama's just, just settling up. I think uh, Alabama became a state in 1819 and put, maybe got there three or four years later. Um, and he wants to be a politician. He wants to be a lawyer. He starts practicing law. And of course, uh, like many uh, politicians of that era, he started a newspaper so that he had a, 
uh, a way to convey his thoughts to the public. Uh, he was in Tuscumbia, uh, Alabama, northern Alabama. Um, then he gets into his first scrape. Uh, there was a guy named Edwin Winston who was a judge, and uh, he was. There was a family, the Winston family was prominent in northern Alabama. They had gotten to Alabama just a year or two before Foot and established a thrust, thrust, you know, a, a beachhead there politically, you know. Um, and uh, actually, they're all descendants from a, a Virginia Revolutionary soldier, uh, Anthony Winston. If that name rings a bell with anybody, but uh, uh, anyway. The Winston family, was they controlled politics there in northern Alabama, and Foote was wanting to sort of muscle in on that, and he's printed some insulting uh, things about the Winston family in the newspaper, and there was a public scuffle in the street between uh, several members of that family and Foote and some of his political allies, and they end up having a, uh, a duel. And uh, Winston is wounded. Foote is not uh, wounded. Um, Foot was not a very good shot, so uh, Winston, a very unlucky uh, guy, but uh, he did hit him. Um, so that was Foot's first duel, and there's an anti-dueling stat uh, statute in Alabama, so uh, Foot is charged with that, and the Winston group, they had a lot of political pull, so they were able to kind of railroad him out of town. He was disbarred for uh, dueling, so he had to go somewhere else because he couldn't practice law in Alabama. He's headed for New Orleans. And he stops in uh, Natchez, Mississippi, which um, uh, was actually, it's on the Mississippi River. It was a very early settlement. It was founded two years before uh, New Orleans. and was kind of a hub of activity in what was then the American Southwest. And um, you had a lot of rich cotton planters uh, down there and who were needing legal help with different things because you're always, there's always all these boundary disputes with land and all kinds of things like that uh, in these states that are just settling up. And uh, so he, he decides to uh, live in Natchez for a while. Then he, he moves to a place called Clinton, which is near the state capital where he could be politically active. And he becomes active in Jacksonian era, politi uh, era politics. And he's trying a case at one point. He's the defense attorney. This guy here, Sergeant, Prentice, uh, Sergeant Smith Prentice, is um, the prosecutor. And they're going back and forth in the courtroom one day, and uh, there's different versions of the story, but apparently Foote insulted Prentice. Prentice threw an inkwell at Foote, and uh, they challenged, uh, Foote challenges uh, the uh, Prentice to a duel. And so they go have a duel. Foote is wounded. And then after Foote is wounded, uh, Foote's friends uh, start rumors about Prentice that he had not acted in a manly way out on the dueling uh, ground and somehow he had taken advantage of foot, so they got to have another duel. <laughs> so they have a second duel. Foot again is wounded. He was again a notorious bad shot. He's lucky he didn't ki get killed, uh, and and lucky he didn't kill anybody. In all these duels, ironically, uh, those two guys become friends, and uh, I don't know. It works just the same way uh, then as it does uh, now. This guy ends up running for. Uh, House of Representatives, uh, Prentice does, and Foote knows he's going to win, so he buddies up with him, you know, even though they had fought in this, in these uh, duels. And it made them sort of both celebrities down in that region. All right, the Texas agitation begins. Foote liked to move around. He was pretty restless. Uh, he pursued opportunity, but then when opportunity was you know, within reach, 
you know, he liked the chase, but he didn't seem to be able to grab the prize at the end. Um, and the Texas Revolution is going on in the 1830s. Foote's going to get involved raising money for that, like a lot of uh, Southern politicians in the South had a connection, of course, with Texas while it was, uh, they were fighting uh, to uh, break away from Mexico. Foote ends up going out there to Texas, and he decides he's going to live out there. Because, again, the revolution has taken place. Texas is breaking away. Texas becomes its own republic for a little while. And, of course, it's just chaotic politically there as they're trying to decide whether or not they're going to be annexed to the United States or, you know, whether they're going to remain a republic. And it's just generally chaotic conditions there. And Foot thinks, well, maybe he can weasel his way into some kind of good position in either an independent Texas or Texas after it's annexed to the United States. Uh, and then he, he picks the wrong side uh, when he gets out there, as he did a lot. There was a great power struggle in Texas uh, going on between these two guys. And uh, Mirabeau Lamar and uh, Sam Houston, um, who, I don't know, I asked somebody else, somebody this uh, earlier, uh, do you remember Mickey Gilly, the musician? Mickey, does that guy look like Mickey Gilly to any? He always looked like, especially a big picture of him like that. Anyway, uh, Lamar over here, it's neither here nor there. Lamar, Lamar over here, and then there's Houston. Uh, they were battling for political control out there in Texas. And Foote ends up going in with Lamar. He's on that side. Uh, and he begins writing a lot of insulting things in newspapers about Sam Houston. And uh, he, the rumor was that if Lamar had ever become president of Texas, uh, Foote was going to, or if he was elected, they were running in an election. And if he had, was elected, Foote was going to be Secretary of State of Texas, of an independent Texas, was the rumor at the time, because he was so uh, heavily associated with Lamar. But anyway, uh, Foote, who will later serve in the Senate with Sam Houston, I mean, he completely alienates Houston. Uh, one thing he does, Foote also could produce a book, I mean, just like that. I don't know how he does it. But uh, he wrote a uh, two-volume history of Texas that many early Texas historians quoted prodigiously, you know, in the decades after the Civil War when these other Texas histories were being written. But it's basically a partisan diatribe where he tries to discount Houston's uh, service and build up Lamar, you know. Uh, Houston ends up winning the election, so once that happens, Foot knows he's out of business in Texas, <laughs> goes back to Natchez, Mississippi, but becomes involved in the annexation movement, which a lot of Jacksonian-era uh, politicians uh, were involved in that. Um, and he tries to get elected to something, but he doesn't, he doesn't have very much luck uh, early on. Um, runs for a couple of local offices and, and doesn't win. He did serve one short term in the Mississippi legislature, but he, that was too small of a stage for him. He had this big, a small guy in stature, but he had this huge personality. But he practiced, practiced law, and he was a great um, spokesman for the Democratic Party. They'd send him out. They wouldn't run him for anything, but they'd send him out to just eviscerate the competition. You know, he was really, really good at that. And of course, he'd burn bridges wherever he went. Uh, and then he fights another duel. Uh, this guy here, Osmond Claiborne, was, he was a member of a very famous family of the Claiborne's had been, uh, one of the Claiborne's was an early governor of Louisiana, and this guy was a war hero. And Foote insulted him, and they fought a duel. 
and uh, Claiborne was wounded. That was another time Foot just, foot just fired and it happened to hit him, but uh, he, he wasn't killed. <laughs> then Foot hits a jackpot. Okay, Foot uh, in uh, 1847, uh, there's a Senate seat open, and Foote's going to, or I'm sorry, and there's uh, four or five people that are running for that seat. And Foote says, uh, you know, I don't want the seat. I'm not interested in uh, being elected senator, which translated means he was very interested in it. And what he ends up doing, the leading candidate there from the Democratic side was a guy named John Quitman. And uh, Foote said, well, if John Quitman was a war hero from the Mexican War, but he wasn't a very effective public speaker. So Foote volunteers to go out and give speeches all over the state there in Mississippi on Quitman's behalf. <laughs> and suddenly, nobody remembers Quitman anymore. They all remember Foote. He ties up, you know, the senators were elected by the legislatures back then, and he has these, you know, he drums up enough support to get elected U.S. Senator at the you know, just as things were getting hot on the national stage uh, with regard to the, the slavery debate. Again, you're fixing to have debates begin that end with the Compromise of 1850, or they, that compromise is a byproduct. The debates don't end. But uh, So you've got a lot of people that are mad at one another in Washington, a lot of people yelling at one another in Washington, a lot of volatility in Washington. Perfect scenario. <laughs> okay. So he goes... Uh, and that's when he has the fight with Davis. Davis is the other senator from Mississippi. So they're, they're, they're two, it's Mississippi's two senators. One of them is Davis, and the other one is Foote. Foote hated Davis, and Davis hates Foote. Um, and for a, a number of reasons, the feud started uh, long, several years before this. Uh, Davis's uh, sister had married a man, uh, and they lived in Louisiana. And uh, the, the Davis's brother-in-law was killed uh, in a duel. And Davis, of course, and the Davis family wanted to prosecute the guy that, that, that killed Davis's brother-in-law. And so there was a big trial, and the, the defendant hired Foote. So Foote ends up going over there and arguing the case, and the guy was acquitted for killing Davis's brother-in-law. So they think that's where the animosity really started. But both of them wanted to... Um, represent, be the chief spokesperson for that state, Mississippi. And Davis was just the kind of guy Foote didn't like, because Davis, you know, was a cool kind of character. He was very sort of aloof, looked down his nose at Foote and liked, liked the fact that Foote knew he was looking down his nose at him. And so, I mean, Foote had his big chip on his shoulder about all of that. And anyway, they hated one another, and they're up in the boarding house in 1847, uh, and they're one of the public rooms of the boarding house, the Davis and Foote, and there's three or four other uh, senators and congressmen there, and uh, they get into an argument, and they have a fist fight, which Foote thoroughly, I mean, that was great for Foote, because Davis never lost his, you know, cool, you know, and that was Foote's M.O., was try to get your opponent to lose his cool. And um, so anyway, the other guys uh, pull him apart, and there was talk of a duel, but then that talk went away, and everybody that was there sort of, they didn't sign anything, but they made an oral pledge not to say anything about it, you know, one way or the other, because these things could, you know, these duels, they hinged on, if you physically confronted somebody, if you hit first, 
you know, then you're the offending party. There was all this etiquette involved with the, the, the dueling and people would get involved in these, the, in the heat of the moment in these duels. And three days later, when they go to fight the duel, you know, they've forgotten what they were mad about, you know, and, <laughs> but they got to save face. So in this case, there was no duel. But you can believe uh, Foot ends up being David's worst enemy, at least most vocal uh, enemy. Because Foot, from this point forward, one thing he did was dedicate at least part of his life, for the rest of his life, to dogging Jefferson Davis about everything. Didn't matter, you know, what color shoes he had on. I mean, it didn't matter. Um, but this is where Foot makes a name for himself because he's up up in Washington when. Um, the Compromise of 1850s worked out between Northern Congress people and senators and the Southerners, you know. So, Foote's one of the most vocal proponents of the Compromise. The entire Mississippi delegation and the governor, who by that time, ironically, is that guy Quitman uh, that uh, Foote had beat out for the U.S. Senate, uh, the governor sends a message telling the entire congressional delegation that they're supposed to, they need to be against this Compromise. And Foote goes against that, which basically kills him off politically in uh, Mississippi. But he sticks to his guns. Uh, he says, we've got to work things out with the North. We don't want secession. That's not going to work out well for us. Uh, and I'm here to tell you, I want to uh, work with these Northerners. Ironic that he wanted to compromise in this case when his whole life was based on just not compromising on anything. But here he, was, he sort of tried to be a little statesman-like uh, with it. Because he knew, again, he's on a national stage uh, here. So he wanted to kind of come off as more of a statesman. But uh, he takes the pro-union position. And again, he goes, I'm glad that slide says that. He goes again, just like I said, he uh, goes against the uh, Mississippi governor and the legislature. And it kills him off politically. Oh, before he, they vote, he gets in a fist fight with this guy from Arkansas. <laughs> Uh, who doesn't like some things that Foote said on the floor of the Senate. Foote's walking around downtown in Washington, D.C. at one point uh, later that evening, and this guy, United States senator, okay, attacking another United States senator on the street. These guys today, they think they're tough. <laughs> Just, you know. Oh, yeah, let's see, what else did he do? Got in a scrape, you know, because these debates are really hot on this compromise. All kinds of things come up. Foote is still a pro-slavery ideologue, uh, but he's anti-secession. And uh, he gets into a, a verbal altercation with Thomas Hart Benton, the famous senator from Missouri. Uh, pulls a pistol very dramatically. Everything Foote did was very dramatic. And he aims it at Thomas Hart Benton. Uh, Benton responds very dramatically by ripping his shirt open and yelling, let the assassin fire, let the assassin fire. And then, of course, both of the guys are waiting for the other senators to pull them off each other. You know, they, they don't want to go much further than that, but that'll look good in the newspapers, you know. And uh, it was, this was a massive uh, news coverage on this. This is a cartoon. I don't know if you can tell exactly what's going on here, but there's Foot right there with the gun, and there's Benton with his, holding his coat there. And uh, it's a scene from Uncle Sam's Senate. So that's what they had going on that day. If you had C-SPAN back then, <laughs> I mean, you would be seeing this clip over and over for the rest of your life. They'd run it, you'd be on a loop, you know, all the time. C-SPAN 3 would have it on a loop all the time. 
And it wasn't just other Southerners. Uh, he got mad at John P. Hale. John P. Hale had abolitionist sympathies and was given an anti-slavery speech at one point. Foote gets up. He was very sensitive uh, about uh, the slavery issue because he did not want to appear as if he was anti-slavery just because he was anti-secession. So he kind of went out of his way to always defend the institution of slavery. He and Hale get into an argument. And uh, Foot basically says, hey, if you ever come down to Mississippi and I ever catch you, I'm going to hang you from a sour apple tree, <laughs> which generated a nickname in the press called Hangman Foot. And many people call him Hangman Foot for the rest of his life. But wait, there's more. If he had just, <laughs> if he had just died right then, it would have been a full story, but he didn't. He gets in a fist fight with John C. Fremont, who will end up uh, becoming the first uh, Republican candidate for president. Uh, Fremont was uh, Benton's, let's say, I believe Benton's son-in-law of Fremont, and uh, they didn't get in some kind of scrape in the Senate cloakroom. And uh, I can't use the language that they used uh, up here, but uh, they used some rough language, and they end up getting into a, a fist fight. Anyway, uh, through all that whole period of all this volatility, he still, again, he's... Uh, He's an opportunist, he's a blowhard, violent guy sometimes. Uh, also, he does those stick by his guns there in uh, 1850 and argues for the Compromise of 1850, and he never wavers from that. And of course, that compromise ends up passing, and the Mississippi legislature reacts by censuring him. So he knows next time he runs for re-election, you know, that the legislature's not going to appoint him again. So he's pretty much run out of steam with the legislature. So what he decides to do, he says, I'm going to stay in Mississippi, but I'm not going to let the legislature decide, you know, what my future is. I'm going to run for an office that's voted on by the people. And uh, that's 1851 is when that uh, happens. Um, the, it's a kind of a long story, but uh, uh, basically you have the, in Mississippi and in a lot of the other southern states, of course, you have the mainstream Democratic Party, and then you had people that were known at the time as Union Democrats, and they, they uh, allied themselves with some of the Whigs uh, to sort of be the, the Unionists, take the Unionist side of most of these arguments related to secession, and they're the ones that tried to oppose the mainstream Democratic Party. So Foote threw in with... Um, a bunch of disaffected Democrats that uh, uh, weren't getting what they wanted out of the mainstream Democratic Party, and a bunch of Whigs, and they formed an organization that they named the Union Democratic Party. And Foote runs for governor. Because one thing Foote could do also, I mean, he had this reputation of being this volatile guy. You never knew what was going to happen when he spoke. So he drew hundreds thousands of people would come to see him speak. Because remember, no internet, right? No television. I mean, you go to these little towns, there's no entertainment there. Well, when Henry Foote came through, it was like a circus coming through, okay? <laughs> so he could draw uh, tremendous crowds. And ironically, he goes up against Quitman, who, and again, uh, it's a long story, uh, but Quitman and Foote were enemies except in the end, both Quitman and Foote hated Jefferson Davis, so they became friends later on. So it's a <laughs> weird thing. But Foote, Jeff, uh, Quitman, of course, not a very good public speaker, but he's got to go on these debates with Foote. 
And Foote just completely eviscerates him and makes fun of him to the point that Quitman attacked Foote on the podium one day, and they got in a fist fight, and uh, people separated him, and then Quitman just dropped out of the race. And so Foote's in there. The mainstream Democrats needed a uh, substitute for Quitman, so they got Davis, who didn't really want to run. Uh, at the time, he, uh, being governor of Mississippi was not something he was, you know, wanted to pursue. And uh, he also was uh, ill at the time. He couldn't really campaign effectively. Uh, so uh, Davis and Foote, again, two mortal enemies, uh, they end up running for uh, governor, and Foote wins. Beats Davis by about 1,000 votes, like 19,000 to 18,000, something like that. I can't remember the exact number. But uh, he defeats Davis. And of course, Davis, they don't go on joint speaking tours or have debates. Davis's strategy toward Foote is completely ignoring him. And Foote just made speech after speech against Jefferson Davis. Uh, he's a lousy governor. Again, he likes to chase, but once he gets there, to the, you know, once he gets the prize, he doesn't know what to do with it. Plus, he had alienated the entire state legislature, so he can't <laughs> really do anything. So basically, the legislature, uh, yeah, he's governor, but they hog time to the, where he can't really get anything done. He gets frustrated, decides to leave Mississippi. Where does he go? Goes to California, because what's happening in California, where well, he just had the gold rush, 48 and 49. California became a state in 1950. Got all kinds of chaos going on out, of, out there. All, it's far removed. Uh, you know, back then, them going to California from, from Mississippi or from Alabama, Virginia to California, like you and I going to the moon almost, you know. So he goes out there and gets involved in something called the Know Nothing Movement. Uh, he just comes out there and he had this reputation. He had been a U.S. senator before. And um, Again, he could really draw crowds, which kept him in, in business. Uh, the fact that he could draw crowds, that was something that had political capital. Um, so the Know Nothing movement nationally that had started as an anti-immigrant, anti-Catholic uh, movement in the East, out in California, it operated a little bit differently. Uh, mainly it was a, a, just a, sort of the opposition party, at least at this point, to the Democrats, mainstream Democrats out in California. And Foote knew he couldn't be part of the mainstream Democratic Party because that's Davis's party. Davis was a national figure in the Democratic Party. So he tries to get elected senator out there. He misses by one vote. There's one guy in the legislature out there turned on him and he wrote this great letter. He said, if it was anybody else, you know, I just can't vote for this guy, Foote. He's too, he's too crazy. So... Foot strikes out in California, comes back to Tennessee. He's trying to get elected to something again. <laughs> and Tennessee's trying to decide by this time whether or not they want to secede from the union. He's, he goes to Nashville first, practice law for a couple, three years. And, um, he, again, is an anti-secession guy. And again, this is 1859, 1860, uh, uh, until they have these referendums in Tennessee, and it becomes apparent that Tennessee is going to secede. So guess what? Suddenly, he says, okay, I didn't want this to happen, but I'm all for this secession business. And he goes out and gives these speaking tours and gets people worked up about secession, and he ends up getting elected to the Confederate Congress representing the Nashville area, that district, uh, in the con Confederate uh, House of Representatives. And some people believe he uh, wanted to get elected to the Confederate Congress just so he could 
abuse Jefferson Davis, who of course was the president of the Confederacy. And abuse he did. Uh, I mean, that's all he did. He really didn't accomplish anything uh, there because he sort of, once he decided he was not going to be a unionist anymore, uh, that had kind of grounded him politically. He had an ideological base. But once he flipped, he didn't have that anymore. Plus, he had alienated so many people that he couldn't get his footing too well. Um, again, attacks Davis constantly. I mean, he'd get up and just start talking about Davis on something that just wasn't even part of the debate that was going on in the House. I got some quotes here. I'm thoroughly satisfied that Mr. Davis and his associates are bent on establishing a despotism. I resolved in the most open manner to denounce the conspirators against the freedom of my fellow citizens of the South. Okay, got strong stuff there. Davis's tyranny is the sole cause of the calamities which have befallen our country. He said that after the, there were some Confederate setbacks in the field. He called Davis, quote, a fiendish character responsible for more barefaced acts of corruption than any single individual has ever been known to commit in the same space and time in any part of Christendom. <laughs> so that's a mouthful right there, you know. So, and again, over and over again to the point that all the other members of the Confederate House got tired of, you know, tired of him being there. And then, of course, he gets into a fight with Edmund Dargan, who's Davis's buddy, uh, from Alabama. They get in a fight on the floor of the House of Representatives. Both men pull out knives and wave them around at one another. How many fights is that? I, can't, I lost count. It's uh, quite a few. Uh, and he's on the, the street one day, and uh, Editor Pollard here, uh, some of you might know uh, who that is. Uh, he's the editor of the, the newspaper in Richmond. He got in an, uh, that, that actually happened. This uh, altercation actually happened in Foote's uh, hotel room where Pollard uh, as the story goes, almost beat foot senseless with an umbrella. He had an umbrella with a big, thick handle on it and uh, got mad at the foot about that. Finally, the Confederate Congress has had enough of foot. They censure him. Okay. Yeah. And uh, then, <laughs> what does he do? Well, by this time, about 1865, of course, it l looks like that uh, uh, the Confederacy is going to lose the war. So Foote decides he is going to uh, take it upon himself to go to Washington, D.C., to talk with Abraham Lincoln about a peace settlement and to try to, you know, what he really wanted to do was tell Abraham Lincoln, look, I've been behind you the whole time, uh, <laughs> but they've been holding me back down there. But finally, I, you know, I'm your buddy, because he knew the Republicans in Lincoln, they'd control things once the war was over. So he, he goes on what he called a peace mission, uh, what the Confederates called a, a treasonous, you know, <laughs> mission, a treasonous activity. Uh, he actually goes twice. He's arrested, and then he comes back, and uh, then he, he goes again. He's able to make it uh, this time. He never talks to Lincoln. He ends up talking with the Seward, William Seward, because, I mean, he was a Confederate congressman, and they were interested in talking to him. Uh, but finally, uh, Seward, they decide uh, that they don't want foot around, and they say, well, you can either go back to the Confederacy or you can leave the country. You know, you do whatever you want to. You just can't stay here. So he goes to Canada and lays low for a while uh, through the end of the war. Then he writes, starts, while he's in Canada, he starts writing uh, an autobiography, a, 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 um, a book about his uh, experiences, ominously titled Casket of Reminiscences. And in it, of course, uh, it is pretty interesting if, if you are interested in that 
time what was going on because he talks about a lot of people and he didn't he had lots of enemies but not everybody was his enemy you know he did have some friends but there's a lot of passages in that book if you read it they jump off the page that he's just writing that to settle scores you know the confederate side uh you're probably aware it's called the battle of the books you know after the war was over they had the battle of the books all the leaders writing uh uh, books trying to explain that it wasn't my fault, you know, that uh, things didn't go so well. Uh, well, Foote was in on in on that uh, kind of activity, and um, anyway, he turns that out in about six months. It's a big, thick uh, book. Then he writes his version of the Civil War, the era, which is filled with just all these diatribes and this insulting language uh, related to guess who. Jefferson Davis, right, Jefferson Davis. In fact, it's about, if you took all the Davis references out, it'd probably be, you know, the book wouldn't be very big. Uh, <laughs> but that's what he did. He was trying to, you know, he's settling scores. And basically, again, he was a vindictive kind of guy. Ends up becoming a Republican in Tennessee. And, uh, again, he's had nine lives, you know. Uh, he becomes a Republican, and he was welcomed somewhat uh, in the Republican Party. In Tennessee, after the war, like in the other southern states, the United States government, anybody that had a name that was willing to promote the Republican agenda, you know, they didn't care that much about their past. If they were willing to go along with Reconstruction and the Republican program, you know, they, they'd let them tour and make speeches. And Foote did that uh, in Tennessee and was basically ended up, um, he didn't have the official title as head of the Republican Party in Tennessee, but he was one of the leaders there. And again, there's people all over the country scratching their heads going, well, how did he get that? You know, but <laughs> somehow he did. He's uh, awarded for that later on with a, a federal uh, appointment to become the director of the uh, Mint in New Orleans, which was a, a nice kind of you didn't have to do too much. Uh, he said, his famous quote there, he said, New Orleans, New Orleans, it's a great place to make money. Uh, and so he was there, he became head of the Mint, and then he gets um, uh, some type of, they think it was some type of skin uh, cancer, of course, which was, uh, could probably be treated today, but it could be treated back then. And he eventually passes away. And when he died, obituaries of him appeared everywhere you know and you could tell he was a volatile guy because some of the obituaries were kind and then some were not you know obituaries usually even if the press hates the per the publisher hates the person they will not abuse them in an obituary you know but uh foot caught a caught some flack uh this is from memphis uh the, the memphis paper they were a little kinder to him uh take him all in all he was uh uh, the most extraordinary character the South has produced since the death of John Randolph of Roanoke. That's what he said. That's what Memphis, they said in Memphis. And uh, the Jackson Mississippi paper said, Foote was talented, brilliant, and in some respects, as genius often is, eccentric. Well, they say, if you're a prominent person, you're eccentric. If you're not, you're crazy, right? Isn't that what the <laughs> thing is? Uh, he was impulsive and never counted the cost or consequence of the uh, steps he deemed proper to take. So, you know, they called him a genius, but they qualified a little bit. Uh, got a couple of more here. Foote was a short, pompous old man, full of vanity and words, and boastful of his somewhat romantic career. That was from Indianapolis. And then in St. Louis, he was a droll personage, an odd mixture of virtues and defects. 
He went through his life exuberant with vanity and full of self-delusion, a man of words rather than ideas. All his speeches and writings were remarkable for verbiage and bombast. <laughs> Make a good case for that. But uh, those are some obits, and that brings us uh, around to the uh, end of the, the talk there. He's buried in Nashville. The, the grave in this, the foot plot is ironically is not marked. Uh, uh, so he's in an unmarked grave in the... Uh, was it Mount Olivet uh, Cemetery there in Nashville, the big old cemetery there in uh, Nashville. So that's Henry Foote. I appreciate y'all uh, listening to me. I think. <laughs> I think we're going to take a few questions, easy questions, maybe. <laughs> I think they're coming around with the microphone. There's one back here. Thank you for being here today. I have two questions. First of all, was he a slaveholder, and did he ever marry and have a family? Yeah, people always ask about the family. Uh, uh, I just didn't have time to, I didn't want to go for three hours. But uh, uh, he did have a family. He married twice. Uh, his wife died uh, around 1852, and he had six children with her. And what happened with those children, uh, he went to California, uh, during the period that Foote was in California, that's when most of those children came of age or were beginning to come of age. And they became lawyers. Um, and uh, one of the daughters married a U.S. senator from Nevada. So they established themselves out west, his children uh, did. But he was an absentee father. I mean, he was on the road all the time. But he had, he had, he had six children. And uh, also, uh, what was the other question? Slavery. He, he was a slave owner. Uh, the most, uh, the largest number of slaves uh, saw him with, uh, documented was at one time he had six, because he's an attorney. He's not a, didn't have a plantation. But he was a slaveholder, and he defended slavery, uh, you know, over and over again. He sounds to me remarkably like William G. Parson Branlow. What was their relationship uh uh, Parson Brownlow the, from Knoxville. Yeah, uh, became governor after the Civil War. Yeah, they uh, uh, Brownlow was um, he was kind of sort of like that. Uh, uneasy. I don't want to call it a friendship, but like an uneasy relationship. Uh, you know, uh, you didn't know politically in the aftermath of the war and Reconstruction. You know, the politics was pretty fluid. But uh, they were friendly with each other, and he was generally friendly with the Republican uh, leadership. And like I said, one time he didn't hold a Republican office, but as far as being an operative in Tennessee and giving speeches, he was pretty heavily counted on, more heavily than you would imagine. That, that enough? Did that answer your question? I don't know if it did or not. Uh, two questions. Uh, first, was he independent, wealthy, or how did he uh, pay for all these travels? Uh, and two, uh, you had alluded to the fact that in his first duel that he ran afoul of a, of a law against dueling. How did he manage to do it so many times, given uh, all his duels? By the time he started fighting his duels in Mississippi, he had better political connections in Mississippi. And before he ran for uh, like I said, he served one single term in the Mississippi legislature. They had to pass the legislature. He was able to get the legislature to pass some kind of exemption, you know, that 
cured him of all of his past ills. And um, his money, I mean, he practiced law. Basically what he did is he practiced law, and he was a pretty good lawyer. And he made a lot of money, and of course he knew all the political people, so he was involved in all kinds of land speculation deals. And he'd make enough money to keep going, and then he'd run low on money, he'd stop and practice law some more and uh, make some more money and then just kind of, it was kind of volatile up and down, but uh, he always had that law practice to fall back on. Um, where did he receive his law degree and is uh, Shelby Foote a descendant of his? Everybody asked that about Shelby <laughs> Foote. According to Shelby Foote, no, no, that's a good, uh, good questions, uh, both. Uh, Shelby Foote, uh, according to Shelby Foote, Shelby Foote was distantly related to this guy here. And I've got a quote from Shelby Foote in the book uh, about it, but it's way, it's way, way back, uh, several generations. And um, he went to Washington and Lee, but he didn't, I guess it was just Washington, but he didn't get a degree. He just read law. You know, he read law down in, uh, where was that, Warrington? Lexington? Hey, I've been up here for quite some time. Okay, Lexington. And uh, uh, no, that's where Washington is in Lexington. And then he read law. This is somewhere else. He went to a law office in a place called Warrington. I got a warrant in here. Okay, he studied. He, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. When it's Falk Ear County. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> no. What? Well, yeah. Uh, uh, he went to college for a little while, but he never took a degree. He never got a degree. Then he ends up going to uh, read law in this law office of some family friend, and another clerk that was reading law also was. Uh, a guy that ended up on the U.S. Supreme Court that he was friendly with. Uh, Swain was his last name all of his life. But back then, you could just read, you know, read law, and it's like you read medicine, you know, back then. All right. Is this on? Um, I was intrigued when I got the announcement about this uh, by the term unionist who um, poked um, Jefferson Davis. And I wondered if it just meant that maybe there were some level-headed people in Mississippi at that time, <laughs> and that you know he he saw the light that maybe we were better not to secede. But I think you've answered my question. No, he had no moral or ideological reasons for being a secessionist or a non-secessionist or a unionist. It sounds like it's more, and I'm wondering if it's fair to call him a unionist. More or less, it should be a scoundrel who uh, poked Jefferson Davis. He was called both. Uh, uh, I would say uh, that that's a good point. I would say he was a unionist because for a good 10 years, he led that movement uh, and was the key figure in that movement and the loudest figure. Now, whether he was ideologically driven, which he was somewhat, but he was also driven by opportunism. So, uh, uh, yeah, he was all those things, you know, but, but he uh, has that for a noncommittal answer. He was all those things. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, the moniker unionist, as they used that term back then, uh, you know, he fit that, that, that mold there. 
But yeah, he also was an opportunist, and if, if Jefferson Davis was for it, he had to be against it. So there was a lot of that uh, going on too. And yeah, he was a, could be a scoundrel too. Mr. Wynn, throughout your talk, you mentioned uh, several times the 1850 Compromise without describing the elements of division and debate that paralyzed much of Washington at the time and where his role really was other than just a general blanket support for the compromise. Could you elaborate a little bit more about that compromise? Yeah, the, the, um, they call it, some people call it the first secession, uh, the first secession crisis. And it was, uh, you know, one of the, you know, they had the Missouri Compromise in 1820. Things had come to a head related to slavery, and they're coming to a head again in the 1850s because there were a lot of issues that uh, brought it to the forefront. Number one, uh, what are you going to do with uh, California? California is going to be a slave state or a free state. All the territory uh, that was annexed after the Mexican War, what are you going to do with that territory? The Southerners wanted slavery to spread. The Northerners, of course, many Northerners, not all, but many Northerners wanted to check it. And um, so the statehood for California and what to do with the Western Territory acquired from uh, the rest of the territory that was acquired from uh, Mexico, those were issues. Whether or not you're going to have slavery in Washington, D.C. Uh, was an issue uh, there. And what they ended up doing... Uh, Again, this is about an hour's worth of explanation that I would need to give on this, but, but Henry Clay got involved, the great compromiser, and uh, they hammered out, there was a lot of back and forth, and they hammered out uh, this, this compromise where California came into the Union as a, a free state. No restrictions were placed on the rest of the territory. Uh, slavery, but not the slave trade, uh, was forbidden in Washington, D.C. Uh, there was a lot of back and forth about the fugitive slave law, and the fugitive slave law ends up being adopted, one version of the fugitive slave law. So those issues were in play, and he favored, foot favored those compromises, whereas the people, the Mississippians, at least the people that were holding public office for the most part, did not favor California coming in as a free state. They didn't favor, they wanted slavery protected in Washington, D.C. Um, they wanted uh, slavery to be able to spread anywhere and everywhere. Some of them wanted a constitutional amendment to uh, protect slavery. So, I mean, he, there were a lot of, there was a lot of pushback uh, on him for being on the other side of those, uh, of those issues. So, yeah, he was, he, he, he certainly took advantage of the spotlight being on Washington at that time, and he was a blustery guy, but I mean, he did have that agenda, and it was at uh, great political risk. You know, he, was gonna, he knew he was gonna lose his Senate seat, um, but again, he had this grand plan to run for governor of Mississippi, and plus he was just kind of, you know, he was just out there, you know, kind of this wild <laughs> kind of guy. So yeah, you didn't want, you're glad he was on your side, but you didn't want him to be your main face of the, the movement. If that makes any, does that make any sense at all? Maybe a little bit? Thank you, Thank you. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank you very much.